Well, it's really great to see all of you here this morning. It's great if you're worshiping with us online this morning. We're going to be talking about power walking. You saw it right there as, as we came across. This series, Step Goals, Walking with Jesus, is helping us reformat our lives to spend more time in a discipleship mode with him. And we really are going to talk about power walking this morning. Power walking is that really fast-paced walk when you're almost on the verge of jogging. You're at four and a half to five and a half miles per hour, and if you went any faster, you would break into a jog. But uh, we understand that power walking and jogging accomplishes about the same thing from a health benefit, and most medical folks would recommend power walking over jogging because it's easier on the joints. Some people, when they power walk, swing their arms dramatically, getting more exercise. Others carry weights when they power walk to also accentuate the benefits of this exercise. Now, when it comes to our spiritual power walk, things don't necessarily correspond. For instance, if you want to make the most of your physical power walk, you carry weights. But in a spiritual power walk, it's just the opposite. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. So in a, in a spiritual power walk, you get rid of everything that weighs you down, that doesn't benefit you. Now, we can't do this on our own. This spiritual walk with Jesus is something that requires help. We need the presence of God in our lives, and that presence, according to the scriptures, is the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just stop there for a moment, all right? There is something mysterious, almost a bit uncomfortable about this subject of the Holy Spirit. Many people ask, well, what is it? Well, the the better question to ask is, who is he? The Holy Spirit is not it. We describe him as the third personality in the triune nature of God. Huh? I mean, doesn't that confuse you? Does me this morning? That's we often describe him in that fashion. And and it's an appropriate description, but it's hard to comprehend. Now, Now, hang on to that. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But let me add to this also. If you're expecting to go home today with a clear understanding or a complete understanding of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives, then you're listening to the wrong preacher. And if that disappoints you this morning, I'll give you permission to sleep through the sermon, all right? I know you don't need my permission to sleep through the sermon, but the rest will be guilt-free if I give you permission to sleep. The whole concept of the Holy Spirit is one which is difficult for us to grasp. But then we're talking about God. Why should we expect to somehow clearly understand the magnitude of God? I don't want to serve a God that I can comprehend with my finite mind. So if there's some things that are hard to understand about the Holy Spirit, that's good. Because he is greater beyond our ability to fathom. And we need to trust that God will help us know everything we need to know. Now, to add to all that confusion, when I was growing up, the term Holy Ghost was more frequently used thanks to the wording of the King James. 
Now that translation may have worked better in 1611 with regard to that, but I was a kid growing up watching the cartoon Casper the Friendly Ghost, and I remember when Jacob Marley came back to visit Scrooge in the Christmas Carol as a ghost. Those images didn't do anything for me to help me with this concept of the Holy Ghost. You know, ghosts are something that we associate with hauntings or dead people, which is the farthest thing from the truth with regard to the Holy Spirit. That only makes things more complicated. And so sometimes what we do as a result is we just kind of back up and say, okay, I don't even want to think about this. I just don't want to even deal with this. It's too confusing. Francis Chan wrote a book about the Holy Spirit not long ago and entitled it Forgotten God. That's a pretty good description of the way I think the Holy Spirit is in each of our lives. So how do we describe him? Well, this last Wednesday, we asked several folks here to give us some words or descriptions of what they thought of first when they hear, hear the term Holy Spirit. And I was really encouraged by what I read. Uh, there were several great one-word applications, words that are very descriptive of the Bible's image of him, words that are very descriptive of how he works in our lives. And you could take each one of those words, you could make a whole sermon or even a series on those words and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to have time to even look at those descriptions of the Holy Spirit this morning. But there were also some very thoughtful phrases that came out of that little exercise. A guiding inner voice, a moral compass. God's gift to touch us inside on a daily basis. God's influence, motivator, energizer, and faith builder. God residing in us, he has complete control. I surrender to his will. A personal GPS guiding my path in life. And then our kids even responded. Some of our kids and our youth shared these thoughts. These are great. Listens to our prayers. Looks like a dove lives inside our hearts, catches bushes on fire and makes them talk. I, that was cool. I, some, somebody in, in our youth or children's department thought and translated all the way back to that time when Moses stood before the burning bush and God spoke to him. I, isn't that great that our kids are making that kind of a correlation? Here's, here's my favorite out of the whole list. Loves us when we make bad decisions. You thought about that lately? That the Holy Spirit living inside of us loves us even when we make bad decisions. Now, anytime I'm dealing with a very difficult subject, um, especially from Scripture like this, I, I want to know more than anything, what does Jesus think? What did Jesus have to say about the subject? And uh, given the fact that they work together on creation, there's quite a bit of correlation between the two. You see, the Bible opens with these words in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, not in God's beginning, God has no beginning. In the beginning of what we know, okay, this world and, and creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And here, here he's watching. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And notice the next verse. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. It cannot be coincidental that in the first three verses of Scripture, we are introduced to the three distinct personalities or manifestations of God. I'm back to that triune nature, three nature. God the creator, God the spirit, God the word. 
Now, some of you are thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. I didn't see Jesus anywhere in there, and Jesus is God too. You are right, but he's there. I understand the confusion, but we've got to pick up the story in John's gospel. Now, last month, you probably turned to Matthew and Luke's gospels when you were getting ready for Christmas because that's where the Christmas story is, is recorded. John doesn't begin with the Christmas story. John goes all the way back to the beginning. As a matter of fact, his gospel opens the very same way that the Genesis book does, and this is what we read in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word was in the beginning, and the word takes on flesh and becomes one of us. God the Word, God said, let there be light. God the Word became God the Son. Fully God, fully human. You talk about one that's hard to understand. That's a concept that defies the capacity of my brain. So, from eternity past, Jesus and the Spirit have been one. They have worked side by side. They are together in this whole picture. Now, this passage from John is an important one to learn because it gives us a peek into who Jesus Christ really is, that he is God in the flesh. But what I hadn't seemed to pick up through the years was how integral the Holy Spirit was in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. The whole story that we celebrate at Christmas was the work of the Spirit. Remember what the angel said to Mary? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Come upon, overshadow. The Spirit simply permeated every perspective, every aspect of the incarnation of Christ. He was the architect of our Lord's miraculous birth. At his baptism 30 years later, it was the Holy Spirit that descended like a dove. Then the Spirit led Jesus away into the wilderness where he was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. When that 40 days was over, he ended up returning to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit, the Bible says. The, Gospels account, the Gospel accounts tell us that Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, performed miracles by the Spirit, was sent by the Spirit, rejoiced in the Spirit, and preached in the power of the Spirit. And of course, following his death and burial, he was raised by the Spirit. And then shortly after, when Jesus ascended home to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father, the Holy Spirit was once again the architect of another miraculous birth, the church. Did, did, did you realize how integral, integral the, the Holy Spirit was in that part of History? Author Dan Spader wrote, he said, the Holy Spirit's guidance and power marked every aspect of Christ's life. Jesus understood that being fully human meant that by himself, he could do nothing. After modeling a life of dependence on the Holy Spirit, Jesus told us that in the same way. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Learning dependence on the Holy Spirit then is a critical aspect of learning to walk as Jesus walked. So if we're going to walk with Jesus and if we're going to walk like Jesus, it will require a power walk. And that power is the Holy Spirit. On the night before the cross, Jesus Jesus said this. John records it in his gospel while they were gathered in the upper room. Jesus said in in chapter 16, verse 7, But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, one of the terms used to describe the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now imagine the disciples. All they've known for the last three years is Jesus. We don't want you to go away. We believe you are the Messiah. Jesus said, unless I go away, I cannot send the the Spirit. And, And that's going to be even better. Because the Spirit is going to be inside you and everybody else who follows me. And then came this promise after the resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, now hang on to all that. I'm going to start at the end of that and work my way back. Okay, I'm going to start with this whole concept of of, of this baptized with the Holy Spirit. You've got to remember, and I need to remember, that in the original Greek culture and language, the word baptized was a secular word. It was not a religious word. Christianity took that word to describe this beautiful act of, of baptism when we reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we hear the word baptized today, we think of a spiritual moment or a spiritual event. And we reflect often on what happened to us in that moment when we hear the word. But the Greeks used it to describe anything where you would dip or plunge or immerse because that's what the word means. The Greeks used the word to describe sinking ships. As the water filled the hull inside, the ship began to sink and soon was engulfed with the water on the outside of the hull. The word was used to describe a garment being immersed into dye, the dye penetrating every fiber of the fabric, giving it a brand new look. So when Jesus said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was saying that we will be filled with and engulfed by the very presence of God And that every fiber of our being will be permeated with the Holy Spirit giving us a new look from the inside out. That's what it means. What a beautiful picture. Now, we go back to what he said first. He told the disciples, now wait until this happens. (laughs) Can you imagine again the disciples? Jesus is leaving. Wait. It's going to happen. When? No answer. How? No answer. So they're, they're just they're kind of fumbling through the next 10 days. What, did, what, what will he look like? Will we recognize him when he comes? How long are we going to have to wait? Is this days? Is this weeks? Is this months? I don't know. Oh, I, I don't, I'm afraid I'm going to miss him when he comes. I don't want to miss this promise. What do we do to make sure we don't miss this promise? There had to be a lot of confusion in their mind. 10 days later, people from all around the world were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate that that marvelous Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And while all these people were there, the Holy Spirit arrived and there was no doubt that he had come. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, but there was no wind. There were flames that rested on top of the apostle's head, but, but there was no scorched hair or burned scalp. And then 
And then the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to preach in the languages of the people that were represented. These were languages that the apostles had not learned. Maybe to the Greek people from the colonies of Greece, they, they spoke Greek. To those who were from the Latin areas, they would have spoken, or from the Roman areas would have spoken Latin. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit gave them the, the languages of the day. They even spoke English with a southern Indiana twang because that was the Holy Spirit's original and favorite language. <laughs> well, may, maybe I'm stretching that a little bit, but you get the picture. And you say, yes, but when I became a Christian, I didn't hear the sound of a rushing wind. I had no flames on top of my head. I do not know any other language. I barely know the English that I speak. Have I received the Holy Spirit? How do I know? Well, that's a really good question. I can tell you that when I was baptized into Christ, when I accepted him, was baptized into Christ, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any electric-like shock that passed through my body. My voice didn't deepen. My IQ didn't go up. My quirks didn't disappear. And my wisdom didn't skyrocket out of the, out of the ballpark. I, I, I felt nothing. So do I have him in my life? Absolutely. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if he is your Lord, been baptized, he's in your life as well. You see, God didn't say, God didn't give us any place to stake our claim on the basis of our emotions. God didn't say, well, let me tell you, on the days when you feel real close to me, the Holy Spirit's in you. Oh, man, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? Because there's days I don't feel close to God. Anybody else in my boat? And so if there's days when I'm feeling distant from God, does that mean the Holy Spirit's gone? God gave us something very concrete. Peter preaches this fabulous sermon on the day of Pentecost. And at the end, the people are convicted. and They said, oh, men and brothers, what shall we do? And Peter winds up his sermon with this in Acts 2.38. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God's promise to you. God says, you want to know how all this comes together? All right, I'll tell you. Here's where you put your stake in the ground. When you've come to a conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, when you come by faith and you are sorry for your sins and you repeat and you want to repent and you want to change your way, and when you will submit yourself to this beautiful pageant where we revisit the death, burial, and resurrection, it is like, it is like pledging your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Then I promise you, I give you my spirit. It's no mythical, mystic moment out there. Well, I think he came in, but I'm not sure when. You can stake your claim to this. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have followed what God has asked me to do. God says, he's there. So if you this morning are there, he's there. I wish I had time to explore the depths of this even more. But that'll come a different day. But this is what I want you to know. I, I thought, how do I, okay, how do I wind this up this morning? How, when it comes to the Holy Spirit's role and work in our lives, what can we take with us? So I've got three thoughts for us to remember. And the first one is simply this. Be content with a bit of the mystery surrounding him. Be content with a bit of the mystery. We are simply not going to completely know or understand everything we'd like to know and understand about the Spirit. Now, can I admit to you this morning, that's really hard for me. Um, I like to know how things work. As a kid, I used to take things apart to see how they worked. Never 
got them put back together, but I was good at taking them apart. Uh, just the other day, we had one of our clocks in the house, and it's, it's one of the battery-operated kind with a quartz movement. Stopped working, but it wasn't the battery. I'd tried a new battery, so I thought, oh, I have nothing to lose. So I took that little plastic box off the back of the clock, opened it up. All the plastic cogs fell out onto the workbench. <laughs> I figured, okay, I can figure this out. And I did. Figured out what was wrong with it, got all the cogs back in place, and the clock works again. I love that. I, I love figuring out how things work. But you can't do that with the Spirit. You can't do that with the Spirit. When, when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Spirit moves in ways that you and I cannot predict or understand. We maybe wish that God had been more concrete with the movement of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it'd be easier to pin him down, but what good would that be? You've you got to be content with a bit of the mystery and say, I don't need to know how the Holy Spirit works in order to benefit from the blessings of God's presence in my life. I can't begin to explain to you how the internet works or on some occasions doesn't work. But it doesn't keep me from enjoying the benefits of the internet. I keep using it even though I can't explain it. Have you ever tried to explain how a radio works to a child? There's a transmitter and a receiver. There's antennas and tuners and detectors and amplifiers and speakers and diodes and so much more that's required. But let's just take this for instance. In my hip pocket this morning is a transmitter that is connected by this wire up through this microphone that is on my ear. And the signal is being transmitted to a receiver up there in the sound booth, which immediately then puts it out into the speakers. To, to the best of my knowledge, I don't hear any sound delay between delay my between voice. My voice. And, my voice. <laughs> <laughs> You trust people to do their jobs well. <laughs> okay, nice, nice move, guys, up there. I appreciate that. There's no delay when it goes up there because these are electromagnetic waves. What you and I don't see is these electromagnetic waves that are filling this room. If, if we were talking without the aid of this, it'd be the sound waves, all right? And if all of these waves had colors to them, this room would be filled with all the colors because there's all kinds of waves present. There's TV broadcast waves. There's AM, FM radio broadcast waves. Police and fire radios waves. Satellite TV transmissions. Cell phone waves. GPS signals. And the list goes on. These electromagnetic waves that connect this box in my hip pocket to the receiver up there, to the sound of the speaker so that you hear. It's just amazing. It'd probably scare us to death if we could see all the waves. But you can't see them. You can't feel them. But you know they're there because how else could this possibly be working? Even though there's a scientific explanation for how the radio works and how all of these transmitters work, it's still a bit mysterious to me. Is it, is it not that way to all of you? That you can be driving in your car and listening to a station hundreds of miles away. That, that just, there's a bit of mystery there. How much more then should we be content with the work of the Holy Spirit who isn't working under scientific principles but is working under the direction of the mind of God? There is so much more that I can't answer than I can that I have to be content 
with the mystery. You must be too. Here's another thing. Be aware that he is present. We get so hung up on not being able to explain the Holy Spirit that we totally miss the important part, and that is he's here. He's present. Author A.W. Tozer said, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. What a tragic but I think true commentary on the church today. If the Holy Spirit left, how many of us would even know that he was gone? I know you're not going to stop watching TV because you can't completely understand how it works. And I would hope that we would be aware of the Spirit's presence, even though we cannot explain how he works in our lives. And knowing the fact that it's easy to become detached because you can't see and you can't touch and you can't feel and you can't hear him, Paul gave us two warnings. Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's what I think. I think ignoring his presence or pretending that he is absent or just cutting it off and saying, I can't understand, so I'm just going to pretend it's not there. I believe that both grieves him and diminishes his capacity to work in us, and that's dangerous territory. I don't want to get home to heaven one of these days and have the Lord say to me, Ellsworth, I had so much more I wanted to do in you and through you, but you were ignoring me. I don't want you to get home that way either. Be aware of his presence. Last thing, be open to his leading. Once you recognize that he is in your life, then be open to how he leads. Now, I never cease to be amazed at how the Spirit works. Uh, I have preached for years from a manuscript sermon. I've got several pages here. It's not a brief outline. It is a manuscript. I, I type out every word. Now, I may vary a little bit from it, but, but pretty much I stick to my manuscript. But I can tell you this. It has happened it, is, it happens with some frequency, as a matter of fact. It's happened every, all through my life. Somebody will come up at the end of the service, and they will say to me, oh, oh, I, was, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. When you said this, and they quote it, and I know I didn't say that. That's not in my sermon. But that's what they heard. Now, the only conclusion I can make to that is that in my poor efforts to plan a sermon, the Holy Spirit was able to take something that was lacking and turn it into what that person needed to hear. Not in a miraculous way, but somehow they heard what they needed to hear, but I didn't say it. And then there are times when someone will tell me that they really appreciated my sermon last week and I didn't preach. Pretty sure the Spirit's not in that one, all right? <laughs> well, I, I am, I'm utterly fascinated with the growing number of stories out of the Muslim world of these vision-like dreams of Jesus coming to people 
telling them what to do. And then when they do it, they find some Christian who helps them understand who Jesus is. These are not isolated dreams. I'm just, I'm blown away by what God is doing. That's the work of the Spirit. I've talked to too many missionaries who come back from the mission field telling stories that the only way you can explain how all these things happened and fit together was that the power of the Spirit was at work in them. And you say, I've never seen any of that. I've never experienced anything like that. I haven't either. But it doesn't diminish the work of the Spirit that's going on in our lives because the Spirit not only works in miraculous ways, but the Spirit works in providential ways through our ordinary lives. Can I tell you, Elsie and I have been here 36 years, and when we came, I remember that cold January day when I walked into the office on a Monday morning for the first time. I never dreamed anything like this. I never, I never even thought about the possibility of a Westside campus that's now in two services and a Bedford campus where, where we're meeting on Saturday nights. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even think that was possible because it's not possible with a man. It's not possible with a group of people. It is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day we live, this congregation is living proof of the work of the Spirit in our lives for the kingdom's purpose. Last week when the... Um, when the message came up on the screen that we as a congregation had raised $120,000 to help with the, the Kurdistan Christians in refugee camps, it just blew me away. I, that's only possible through the power of the Spirit working in our lives. It's a God thing. And who knows how he's going to use the future. I just know that he's the promised gift. And if we'll be aware of him and let him lead, the sky's the limit in the kingdom. There's a new movie out. It's a great movie called Hidden Figures. Set in the 1960s, it chronicles the lives of three African-American women who worked in the NASA space program. At the very least, they were brilliant, if not geniuses, and were instrumental in helping us put a man in space and then a man on the moon. But their story is just now being told. The Holy Spirit is often the hidden figure of the church and our personal lives. But don't let that fool you. He is the power of our walk this morning. He is the power of our relationship with Almighty God.